Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Because we are halfway through a series on identity. And uh, we are journeying through the book of Ephesians. And it's a, it's a book, it's a letter that is written by the Apostle Paul writing to a early church located in a significant city. One of the significant cities of the Roman Empire it was the capital of Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. And, uh, and here is a church that's trying to figure out what it looks like to be the church, what it looks like to be Christians in that time. Ephesus was a significant city. It was a political city. It was a city of power. It was a city of religion. It had the great temple of Artemis where people would come from all around to worship. And it was a promiscuous city. It had bought into the Roman values. Uh, Sexual promiscuity was everywhere. And Paul writes to the church. They're trying to figure out who they are as Christians in this place. And Paul says to the church in Ephesus, to those who are in Christ, Yes, you're located in the city of Ephesus, but your identity is in Christ. And throughout the letter as he writes, we see those two little words just come up time and time again, in Christ. You are in Christ, Paul says to the church in Ephesus. And he says to us today, your identity is not where you live. Your identity is not in the society that you're part of or the culture that presses you, your identity is ultimately in Christ. And today we're going to dive into chapter four as we, un- as we unpack a little bit more of what it means to be in Christ. But before we go into that, I, I feel compelled to give you a little bit of a news update. You may have missed this with all the things going on in the news this week. There was actually a very important news article, a news piece that came out of England, in fact, on the 1st of August, so not too, uh, just a few days ago. And I want to read just part of this news article. It's very important. Uh, Organisers of a festival in England broke a Guinness World Record by gathering nearly 600 people to dance simultaneously to disco music. This is, this is important stuff. Camp Bestival in Dorset said 598 people clad in matching sequin capes danced to Sister Sledge's We Are Family at the festival's 33-foot disco ball to break the Guinness World Records for the largest disco dance. Is there anyone here who likes a bit of disco? A Guinness adjudicator was on hand to verify the dance that verified the dance broke the previous record of 324 dancers, which was set in London in 2018. Claire Hodgson, who led the Camp Festival Dance, held rehearsal workshops online in the lead up to the attempt. And they were dancing to We Are Family. I, I, I don't mind a bit of disco. Anyone here like disco? I just want to show you a bit of video as that music goes from my 30th birthday party. I don't know if we've got any of it here. Does it come up? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Have you got the photo? All right, there's nothing, nada. I had a video lined up, but it doesn't work. On my 30th birthday, we had disco. And it was before Megan and I had started dating. And I actually think my dance moves moves in my flares were the thing that, 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 was that right, sweetheart? Got over the line. Hey, we are family. Anyone like this song? Anyone like disco? Come on, has anyone just... 
We just danced to the hustle all night. That was my 30th birthday. It was, it was so much fun. And you'll never see me do it again. Um, we are family. You know, 600 people gathering together, dancing, singing, we are family. We're connected through dance. You know, that's nice. That's good. But you know, there is another family that we are part of. It's a different kind of dance. But actually, we're invited into another world record family. You know, we're part of a family that comprises billions of people. It's a family that's made up of people from all around the globe, from every continent, from every nation, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different families, different tribes, different tongues, different languages. And they're a family that are gathered all around the person of Jesus Christ. It is the church. It is the church. That is the family that we are part of. It's unique, it's diverse, and it's all around the identity that is we are, no matter where we go, no matter what a country we're going, when we are with Christians, we're all part of the same family. We all look different, we all sound different, but there is something unique and beautiful about this diversity that brings us together around Jesus. You know, you know this, right? You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Now, I've, I've made this, this comment before, you know, the church is filled with people I probably wouldn't have a dinner party with, but that doesn't matter. You know, I, there, are, there are people that are in the church that I wouldn't necessarily hang out with, but by the beauty and the grace of God, we have all been drawn together, even in this place today. Our fourth identity marker being in Christ is this, in Christ, I am family. In Christ, you are family. Come on, just turn to the person to your left or right and say, you are family. Even if you don't want to, just say, you are family. And I tell you what, I tell you what, doesn't it feel nice to say that you're in? You're in. You are in. You are in family. You know, so far of this journey, if you've missed it, go catch up. But our identity marks have been I am or I am chosen. I'm a child of God. The reason I'm in family is because I've been chosen by God. I've been invited. It's not because I've done anything. I haven't earned it. I've just been invited in. I've been chosen, I've been saved, I am saved and I am loved. And when we are those things, we can be secure in our position as we heard last week from Sav. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're gonna dive into another very rich passage today. Ephesians chapter four, verses one to 14. The words are gonna be on the screen behind me. Let's read this together. Ephesians four, verses one to 14. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who had descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Paul declares that we are invited, we are chosen, we are called to be part of a new body. We are called to be part of a new family. And I love how Paul starts, he says, hey, you church, you in Ephesus, you're all part of this radical new community of faith. You're part of this family. And I love how he starts in verse one. He says, I, Paul, as a prisoner for the Lord. He starts by writing, by saying, hey, listen, I'm gonna start this passage. This part of my letter, I'm gonna start by just letting you know again, reminding you of my circumstances. I'm writing from prison. Paul is in prison in Rome. He is isolated and alone and he is writing. To, he doesn't have any connection, no digital connection. It's not like he can pick up the phone. It's not like he can send an email or a tweet or, or you know, it's, it's the way in which he is connected to the church is literally through papyrus and a pen and giving it some, to somebody who's gonna jump on a ship and travel across the seas to deliver it to the church. That's the level of connection that Paul has. But even with that limited connection, Paul can say, hey, I'm writing from isolation and I want you, as he goes on to say, I want you to know that you are part of a new family. I want you to know that we are connected. I want you to know that we've been chosen, that we've been invited into a new identity in Christ. He goes, I, Paul, writing from prison, isolated and alone, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. You have called, Paul goes on to say, you've been called to be in a new family. Your identity is in Christ. You're a child of God. Therefore, you are now part of a new community. You're part of a new family. You need to receive this. You need to live out your life in community, worthy of the life that God has called you to. We all who are in Christ are called to be part of a new family. We are in a new family. And there are three benefits that I just wanna quickly work through now. Three benefits of being part of this family. Firstly, to be part of this family is to have a place to belong. Secondly, is to have a purpose to live. And then thirdly, a peace to receive. Did you receive? I'm, I'm going old school Baptist. Three Ps? Three Ps. It's gonna be easy for you. A place, a purpose, and a peace. Firstly, Paul says that being part of this new family gives us a place to belong. 
a place to belong. You know, families have changed over the years. Historically, the family unit, if you look out throughout the world in different cultures, different times, the family unit, unit was strong. You, you'd grow up in a family unit, be a broad family unit that, that may be part of a tribe or a village, and you'd be known as part of that, that, that family, that context. It's not like you were traveling over the seas. You, you couldn't. You weren't certainly connected. And that is what, your, what the traditional family looked like. You were known, your identity was wrapped around your family, and you would go and do what your family did. If you're a farmer, you'd become a farmer uh, or whatever it was. And, uh, and your, your, your identity, who you were, was wrapped up in this, in this place. In fact, uh, there's this guy Dunbar, maybe you've heard of it, he's, he's come up, he's a psychologist, a researcher, and he's kind of come up with this number, 150, that psychologically, interpersonally, we are created as humans to only have 150 close connections of people. 150. Once you get over that, it's too much. And so we psychologically, relationally, can really only have 150 in our world. It's kind of like a village, a tribe, an extended family, depending on how large your family is, of course. But things have changed. They're the, they're the historical family unit, the kind of the historical tribes. These days we have modern tribes. I want to say there's four things that determine or kind of characterize modern tribes. Firstly, we, modern tribes are highly connected or, or because we're highly connected, we have these modern tribes. No longer are, are we bound by our physical location. You know, we're born and we grow up, we're actually hyper-connected. Even, even our kids, you know, are growing up, they've got their iPads and they're connected. They, they can be connected all around the world. We're no longer local, but we are global. And so communities and people are no longer restricted to the communities and the tribes that they grew up in. You could be born in the middle of Australia and have your best friends on the other side of the planet. We are highly connected. Along with that high connection, we also have incredible choice. As we jump on our digital devices, we can connect with whoever we want, whenever we want, really. And what ends up happening is that we get to choose the tribe that we're part of. See, historically, you, you grew up in a tribe and there would be all different personalities and types of people, you, you know, the odd uncle and, you know, the, the crazy cousin or whoever it was, and, and you didn't get on with them, but you had to try and figure out how to do life together. You didn't have choice. You just had to do community. These days, you've got choice. And so what we're finding is people are creating their own tribes based on their own sets, their own worldview, their own preferences, their own identity markers. And they could be anywhere in the world. High connection, high choice. But thirdly, we also see, and, and, and we know this more and more, we're, seeing, we're also seeing high isolation. People are lonely. Stephen March in the Atlantic newspaper writes this. He's actually making an observation of just the hyper-connectivity of the world. And then he says this. He says, yet within this world of instant and absolute communication, unbounded by limits of time or space, we suffer from unprecedented alienation. We have never been more detached from one another or lonelier. And we see this. We, we we see this in COVID, the research, we've spoken about this, so that even though we are hyper-connected and even though we have so much choice with who we, we choose to be part of, the tribe that we, we choose to be part of, still we are highly isolated and alone. 
High connection, high choice, high isolation, and high, fourthly, high insecurity. We are more anxious and insecure than ever before. And I know I've spoken about that and we all experience that in different ways. Tim Keller, I feel like I, during this series, I just have to refer to Tim Keller. So, uh, but he, he just puts it so well in an article I read this week, a recent article he's written, he said this, in the past, most people got their identity from how well they served God, family, neighborhood, and nation. Identity was forged by one, discovering what our family and neighbors expected of us. Two, getting positive and negative feedback about our behavior. And three, rearranging our lives in accordance with those expectations so we could get regular validation and affirmation from our face-to-face community. But in our mobile, individualistic, therapeutic, technologically driven culture, we've been more and more disembedded from our face-to-face communities. And in our increasingly secular society, God and faith no longer serve as a means of identity. Our relationships have thinned out and our identities, our identities are more fragile. We're highly insecure. And it's in this place that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And I'm going from the start to the end. But it's almost like Paul makes this statement of purpose. He says, this is where I want you to get. This is what it means to be part of the family. This is where you get. See, you are invited into a family. You're invited into a place to belong that actually gives you security in a moment and a place of insecurity. Family, true connection gives you security. In verse 14, right at the end, he says this, as a result of all I've said, he goes on, then we will no longer, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. He's saying you, you will be secure. You won't be like an infant. For those of you who've had, had kids, young kids, you've taken them to the beach. You know those first few moments when you take them into the surf and the horror and the terror is that first wave comes and they just get bundled over and there's water going up their nose and they're just in shock. They really don't know what to do. Some kids love it, but most just kind of cry uh, until they figure out what's going on. They, they... But this is the picture that Paul's giving saying you won't be like that toddler, that infant running into a, a storm, a stormy water, running into the surf and getting knocked about. You won't be insecure, but if you find yourself in Christ, in family, you will be secure. You'll be secure. There is something about being connected in real community, deep community, committed relationship that gives us deep security. It's something that our society, our culture longs for, but doesn't know how to get to. This is the gift of the gospel. This is the gift I believe that we have to give to our world today because security comes from finding our family and finding our story. See, there's something powerful about family and story. You know this, right? In your own family, you, you share stories and, 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 and your stories may be good, they may be bad. I know that we all come from different backgrounds in terms of our family. 
But knowing our story and knowing where we come from and knowing what we're part of gives us deep security. Jonathan Grant, uh, in his book, Divine Sex, where he's talking about uh, culture and sex, actually makes this point about isolation and loneliness. And he, he comes across this research and reflects it back and he says, this is what he finds. He, said, he writes this, Psychologists have found that every family has a unifying narrative, some of which are healthier than others. The healthiest version is called the oscillating family narrative, which essentially says we've had ups and downs in our family. We've had victories and setbacks, but no matter what happened, we always stuck together and got through it. Children who have the most self-confidence and resilience know that they belong to something bigger than themselves that they walk on a road that has been traveled by their kind before. There is something powerful about knowing that we are part of a bigger story. I know that for myself. I didn't, I, my plan was not to be standing here on a stage pastoring a church. I did not want to become a pastor. My dad was a pastor. And I grew up watching him live. I just, that was just not for me. I didn't want to become a pastor. You know, my dad didn't start out being a pastor either. My, my dad was an aircraft engineer and he went up and, and was working in PNG on an aircraft up there. And then he had a, a moment. It's another story entirely. In the, when he was 25, mid, mid-20s, had a moment and he just decided, I want to spend the rest of my life telling people about Jesus. And so off he went to Bible college and became a pastor. Well, that wasn't going to be my story. No, my story is I was gonna go and make money in the business world. And I did that till I got to my mid-20s. And then all of a sudden I realised actually I think God's calling me to something more. I didn't think it was pastoral ministry, it was through music. And all of a sudden I found myself after doing three years of theology working for a church and having it out with God because I'd become a pastor. <laughs> it's deeply embedded in me though. But I think back to my grandparents. On my dad's side, my, my grandpa Grew up and he had a young family and he was in Devon selling John Deere tractors. Then in his 20s, a missionary from Australia came and shared at their brethren church in Devon, told them about the, the need to, to go and work amongst the indigenous people of, of Western Australia. I've shared this story before. And in obedience, a few years later, after my Amar agreed, it's about five years, they picked up their family, they jumped on a ship three weeks later, they arrived in Perth, got on a train and headed out to Kalgoorlie. Complete opposite. My dad was on that boat. He was part of that trip. They took their kids. Served the people, the indigenous communities of Western Australia. I was at his funeral uh, just uh, uh, um, after I arrived back from England. A hall filled with indigenous people just thanking and honouring my, my grandparents. Started a church started a school which is now heralded as one of the, the pin-up schools in our nation for how to educate Indigenous children. On my other side, my grandfather on my mum's side, he, he grew up in a really broken home, uh, but came to faith in Melbourne, went and fought in the war in PNG, and, and, and fell in love with the people of PNG, came back to Melbourne, met my, my grandma, got married, became an architect in his 20s, God spoke to him and called him to PNG, so they moved to PNG where he continued to work and then became a missionary, working with uh, tribes, and he ended up in one of his great life works was translating the entire Bible into one of the languages of PNG. 
When I look back at my story, when I look back at some of those things, I don't, I'm not sure I had a choice. It's kind of like, uh, there's just, there's a story going on. And I'm actually really thankful to God for it. I'm thankful for the story that, 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 that my grandparents told of their journey as they followed God, as they stepped out. And some way that marked me. And so I felt secure as I walked my faith journey and my calling. Now I realize, I realize that not everybody has a great family story. But here's the good news. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, and he says to you today, you are invited into a new story. You're invited into a story that is thousands of years old that goes before eternity, before eternity past and will go into eternity future. It is a good story. And no matter what journey you've had in your physical family, you are invited. Your identity is in a new story. It's in a new family. Being part of this new family gives you a place to belong. Secondly, Paul says, being part of this family gives us a purpose to live. He writes in verse 17, we all have gifts. He notes we all have gifts to contribute. In verse seven, he says, but to each one of us, grace. But to each one of us, grace. To each one. Each one, each one of us, every one of you, God gives his grace. It's not to the person sitting next to you. It's not to the person who's been to church for 10 years or 15 years. Every one of you, if you receive Jesus, we looked at this a few weeks ago, grace. You are offered grace Every one of us is offered grace as Christ has apportioned it. Now, this word grace is the, word, the Greek word charis, which also means gifts. We've been given gifts. And gifts cannot be earned. They are given freely. And so Paul says, if you're part of the family, you've all been, we've all been given gifts to receive. You all, we all have grace, which are gifts as Christ has given them, not earned or strived for, just given, okay? You've got gifts, receive it right now. Some of you sitting here going, oh, no, no, no. Oh, I don't have any gifts. But if I do, they're not very good. No, no that's, that's wrong thinking. Believe the Bible. You've received gifts through his grace and through the power of his spirit. Because there's this random kind of passage here uh, that he goes on about. I don't know if you notice this. In, uh, in verse eight, Paul goes, you've been, you've been given gifts as Christ apportioned it. And, uh, and then this is why it says, I don't know if you've got the, the, verses, the verses there. It says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? That he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What in the world is that all about? Well, Paul's actually going back and he's using a psalm, Psalm 68, which is a royal psalm. They, they argue or they suggest that it was actually a psalm written 
um, as a royal psalm for when the ark was coming back into Jerusalem. It says celebration that, that God has won and that his presence is coming in, back into Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant is coming, the presence of God back then, that's where the presence of God was. It's making its way back in, celebrating the fact that the King has won, that God's presence is coming back. And it actually reads, let me read it. The chariot, this is Psalm 68. The chariots of God are ten thousands, tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you took many gifts. You received gifts from his people, even from the rebellious that you, Lord, God might dwell there. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a change. Paul's actually changed the psalm. See if you can notice the difference. See, verse 18 of Psalm 68 says, when you ascended on high, you took many captives, you received gifts from people. Where's the difference? Paul says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then he goes on to say, this, you know, this whole idea of he ascended, meaning, you know, he, except that he descended to like, what he's saying is, Paul's saying is this. It's important. God has descended down in the person of Jesus Christ he has given us his presence. We don't need the Ark of the Covenant anymore. Jesus, God has come, descended to the lower, lower earth, walked amongst us, given us himself. He has died for us on the cross, defeating sin and death. In order that, he cannot receive gifts in order that he can give gifts. Paul is intentionally saying here, Jesus has replaced the Ark of the Covenant. When Jesus came, when Jesus died and he rose again, defeating sin and death, he took hold of everything that was taken from us and he's giving it back to us. He's giving us the gifts. He's giving us his presence. He's giving us his spirit. And so at Pentecost, we know the story, the Spirit of God came down and the gifts of the Spirit filled the church and the church was born. That was true back then and it's true for us today. We have gifts. Jesus has done it. We have his presence amongst us today. Paul is saying it. We all have access to the gifts of Jesus, the gifts of the Spirit and so he can go in verse 11 and say, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Now, I'm not gonna spend a whole bunch of time here. I'd love to, but that's a whole nother sermon. Here's what I'd say is that Paul makes a list here. And I think there's kind of like the, the heavyweight list. But if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you will see a whole range of gifts. Don't read this gift and go, well, that excludes me. I'd say two things. One, you probably have elements of this gift in one shape or another. I don't have time to unpack that now. But there are a whole range of other gifts, including administration people. 
including, you know, I wish I had the gift of administration. I think Megan prays daily that I would have the gift of administration. Don't nod your head, Adrian. But as far as I know, I don't think I do. Uh, but we all have, every one of us have gifts. And why, are the, why do these gifts exist? They exist to equip his people for the work of service until they reach unity in the faith. Here's the thing. You are given gifts, not for yourself. Gifts are only realised when they are given. You don't know if you've got gifts and we don't know if you've got gifts if you don't use them. And if they're not used, they're not gifts. For gifts to be realised, they have to be shared. Every one of us has a role to play. You wanna know your gifts? Use them. Step out, what are your passions? What are your desires? What do you notice? What are you afraid of stepping into because you're afraid of failure because actually you know deep in your heart you really wanna see it work? What do other people say? They say, oh, when I, when I, when I work with you, when I see you, I, you're really good at that. I notice this about you. Listen to it, receive it. Don't reject it. And step into it. Let me say this. We need you. Paul says here that we are the body. He will go and explain that a little bit more in Corinthians. But we need everyone for a body to function well, as Paul will go and say in Corinthians, everybody needs to play their part. One part of the body can't say to another, I don't need you, Paul says. We need you. We all have a part to play in our family. We're working this out right Is it in our family at the moment. Everyone has a role to play. We are delineating the roles and responsibilities of the kids and they need to do them or else. But we all have a role to play in the family. See, and this pushes against, can I say that this pushes against the false identity that sits in our society, which remember if we go back before and say it's all about how I can find, how I can shape my own identity, how I can find my tribe wherever it is. I'm gonna find the people who agree with me. It's all consumer driven. See, the false identity says, I am consumer. The false identity says to the person walking into church saying, I've come here to just see how good the music is. I've come here just to critique the, the message. Oh, I didn't really work for me today. Didn't really like the music. It was, it was a bit loud, it was a bit quiet, it wasn't inspired enough. Andrew preached for, for way too short today. <laughs> I know that happens a lot here. <laughs> consumers. We're consumers. I'm a consumer where my individual preferences must be served. That's the false identity. You will never get to unity with that posture. The true identity says, I am committed. I'm committed. I'm committed to a family that gives me purpose. Paul says, in this new family, we have a place to belong. Secondly, we have a purpose to live. And finally, we have a peace to receive. Being part of this family gives us a peace. Verse two, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Peace. 
See, commitment, living out our identity, requires commitment to a family, and that requires love. The character of love is not self-expression with people who are like us and like us. That's similarity. And the character of love is ultimately worked out in difference. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, submitting to one another to keep the unity. There is a high value throughout Scripture in Jesus and in Paul on unity. Breaks my heart to see the church so often finding the little things so that we can be different, pushing other parts of the body away because we've got the truth and you don't. Jesus and Paul says unity is a high, high, high value. Why? Because it's his body. It's his body. And the reality is, is that we will not have unity unless we have difference. We need to work through our differences We need to work through the ways in which we see things differently. We need to come together with these characteristics of humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. It's how marriage works. It's how relationship works. It's where love is formed. It's where our hearts are formed. It's where connection is formed. You know, we live in a culture that screams out for unity that screams out for, 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 for diversity. But diversity is different to uniformity. And that is why the church is the most, most diverse community on the planet. Why? Because we gather around who Jesus is, our identity around him, and therefore we can allow difference. Unity is not and cannot be uniformity. It must not be. And Paul says it here, we're different, but we are one. And the reason that we can do it, Paul says, is because there's one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism. There is something about, and this is a highly Trinitarian statement, where he says, there is one spirit, there is one Lord, and one God, Father of all. I, at this time right now, I'm not gonna plunge right into a doctrine of the Trinity because even if I did, I'd leave you confused. But here's the thing. In the Trinity, we see a beautiful characteristic of this beautiful picture of love. And the reason that we can be one is because God is one and even in wrestling out that, and we get this picture, this beautiful picture in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't fully understand how this all works. One God, three persons. But there is Jesus just seeing what is ahead and he is desperate and he says, oh, Father, I don't wanna go through this. Oh, if this, if this, this burden, if this, if this call could just be taken off my shoulders, but not my will, but yours be done. In this beautiful picture, we're invited to see the inworkings of of love, of mutual submission and surrender. Again, I can't explain it all. It is God who is choosing. 
not God who is doing, it is God who is choosing to ultimately go to the cross. And it's the cross where we all meet. The reason that we can gather together in unity, in diversity, is because we gather around the cross. That is our story. That is our story. We are held secure because we have the story of the God who stepped down, descended to earth, who defeated sin and death, rescued us, offered us grace, given us the gift of grace so that we've been set free into new life, so that we can live with purpose, so that we can live with peace. That is our story. And we need to keep telling that story. We need to keep sharing that story because it's the story of our family. And it's the story that ultimately gives us security in a world of insecurity. It's that that gives us peace. You wanna know peace and security in an insecure world? Find yourself in the story of Jesus. Connect yourself, commit yourself into a, a family that shares the story. Story and symbol is really important. Taking communion, we did that before, is a symbol that we use, a profound symbol of stories. It's, it's, I don't even wanna put, push it further than just saying it's a symbol, but it's been a gift to us as a church to remind us of the story that we've part of. Did you feel that before when you took communion? Did you enter into the story again? Or did you just zip through it and get you know, down that gluten-free wafer or whatever it is and kind of just grin and bear it? You know, it's far richer than just the, just the tangibles. It's a story that we're part of. Jonathan Grant, I, I, I referenced him before, says this. The single most important thing you can do for your family and church community may be the simplest. Develop a strong, common story. I love the story that we're telling here at City. I love what God is doing, even in the short time that we've been here in the way in which he has provided for us and the way in which he's leading us, the way in which we're going out into the streets of the city, loving people and beginning to gather stories and tell stories. I love the fact that we've seen people come to faith. I love, to, I love seeing how families are drawing in and finding their place in a home. I love seeing transformation. I want to keep being part of that story. I trust you do too. It's this story as we walk this journey out that leaves a legacy for generations to come. I believe, I believe that what we've started here and my prayer is that it will continue for generations to come. That people will tell the story like we are, we're almost 100 years old as a whole gateway church because of faithful people way back when who just stepped out in courage. It's a story that we're part of. There's a couple of responses I would love to invite us into this morning. There's one more thing that Paul says. He says, one Lord, what did he say? Let me get this right. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We talk about stories, we talk about symbols. The symbol for the Christian church of whether you are in the family or not is baptism. 
Baptism is the, is the sign that Jesus gives and he himself goes through it to say, I'm modeling something for you to come. And then he says in Matthew chapter eight, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the sign, the symbol that you are entering into the family, that you're entering into the story. I reckon that there's an invitation for a number of us today who have not yet entered into the story. You haven't taken hold of that symbol yet. And today's the day where you go, you know what? I've been holding off, but now's the time for me to go, I'm choosing to be baptized. I'm, this, is, this is it. And it's not, a, can I just say, baptism is not an optional extra in the Christian faith. It is part of being the, the family. It's, it's the statement that says, I'm in the family. And I wonder whether some of you here today, you, you've been maybe Christian for a while and you've been holding off because you think you're not holy enough, you, you haven't ticked the right boxes yet, you're nervous, you don't, you, what you, let's be honest, you really don't wanna get up in front of people and tell your testimony. None of those excuses are good enough. We'll help you with all of those. But you need to actually Make that sense, saying, I am committing, I am into the family. I'm gonna invite you, if that's you, um, in a moment, to come and grab a towel and say, I'm choosing to be part of this family. This is the symbol of me being in. Before we do that, I'd love to just create space. I don't know everybody's story here, but perhaps you've been coming to church for a while. Maybe this is your first time in church and, and you know that you haven't stepped in, you haven't received the gift of grace of Jesus You've been, you've been dabbling around the edge, edges of Christianity, but, but today is the day that you need to respond to faith and say, yes, I am in, I'm stepping in, I'm receiving the grace afresh. If that's you, I'd love to invite you in. Hey, just every, why don't we just bow our head, every head bowed, every eye closed. And if you're here today, I don't know what your story is. Maybe, maybe you've been coming to city for a while. Maybe you just walked in today with a friend or a family member and, and you'd say, you know what? I don't know this Jesus, but gee, it sounds good. I want that security. I want to be part of that story. I want to have that hope. I want to know that freedom. If that's you this morning, your heart's pounding. I'm just going to invite you to stick your hand up just where you are, where you sit right now. Say, yeah, that's me. I, I want to receive grace. I want to receive Jesus. I want to step into the life that He offers. If that's you right now, just come on, stick your hand up high in the sky. That's awesome. Is there anyone else? Or maybe it's you've, you've stepped into church after a long time, you've walked away and you're, you're saying, I'm stepping back in. I've walked away from the story. Anyone else? Anyone else? Hey, I'd love to uh, lead just a prayer for the person who put their hand up this morning. And if you are a Christian here, you can pray this as well. Why don't we just pray this uh, just above a whisper out loud and um, pray along with the person who put their hand up to say, come on, let's, let's do this together. Pray out loud with me. Dear Lord Jesus. I thank you that you came for me. I thank you that you died on a cross and you defeated death 
so that I could be free. I recognise I'm a sinner, that I've been living my own story. Please forgive me. Come and fill me and give me your grace and gifts. I receive you into my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Hey, that is so awesome. Why don't we just celebrate what God has done this morning? Changes everything. When you step into this new story, it doesn't matter what you've got, what's happened in the past, it changes your life. Hey, if you are still exploring, you've still got questions, I'd love to talk with you after. And uh, for, for the person who put their hand up, we'll connect with you after as well and just give you some resources to help you on your journey. Hey, why don't we stand together? I'm gonna get the band to come up. Guys, I'd, I'd love for us to sing. And as I said before, as we're gonna worship and we're gonna sing a song, which just, again, we've, we've sung it once already. It's just a great song de- declaring who we are in Christ, who you say I am. And I want us to grab hold of it. We wanna grab hold of the story that you're part of. Lift your heart in faith. Lift your heart with joy that you are redeemed, that you are free, that you are part of a wonderful story. And if you haven't been baptised, you need to come forward. We've got a whole bunch of towels here. And uh, I'd love for you to come down and say, you know what? I haven't been baptised yet. I'm a Christian and it's time for me to join the family. And uh, it's what I'd love you to do is come and grab a towel and come down and stand in the front and then uh, we're gonna pray for you. Uh, and we're gonna find a way and a time to get you baptised. It's really hard in the city to find a pool that works, but we will make it work and... In two months' time, we're going down to Christmas Creek and, uh, and it's that time of year, it's really warm. And, uh, and there is no better place to be baptised at Christmas Creek in the beautiful nature and a uh, beautiful amphitheatre. So we would love to celebrate maybe there as well. So come on, let's sing, let's worship. And if that's you this morning, I want you to come and grab a towel. We're gonna celebrate with you and uh, we're gonna pray uh, for you. Let's do that, come on, let's sing. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.